1: New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% 20 off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends. Now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 114 of the Intermittent
0: Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are
2: you today, Jen? I am awesome. It's a very cold day, though. It's weird. It's... It's June, and it's like 70 degrees, and I had to put on jeans. Is it cold in Atlanta today?
0: I haven't been outside. It, it's overcast. It's been weird weather. It's been, like, rainy.
2: Yep, super rainy here. I was watching the Weather Channel this morning, and they talked about some wedge that was wedged in and making it really cold. So it's just not typical June weather. Some a little chilly. But other than that, my cat is recovering. Well, that's good. Yeah, she's mad. She wants to go outside and we're not letting her. So fingers crossed for a full recovery. What's up with you?
0: Well, I almost am finished reading Dr. Fung's new book, The Longevity Solution. What do you think about it? Okay, it's funny. So I went on Amazon and I was reading the reviews of it. And do you read reviews, by the way, of
2: books before you read them? I do sometimes. You know, if I'm curious. I'll read some of the 5-star reviews, then I also read some of the 1-star reviews just to see what people are saying just out of curiosity.
0: Yeah, well, I went on Amazon and I mean, it has it has good reviews, but it has a a decent amount of very negative reviews. Compared to most books when I read, I don't know, it just has especially like right at the beginning, it just has a lot of really bad reviews. And I was like, Oh, I wonder, I wonder why. <laughs> I think Jen, it's basically everything i'm I'm obsessed with, <laughs> like for real. So basically, the first half of the book is all about the specific types of proteins and amount of proteins. It's very technical and how they affect aging, right. Oh, yeah, I read this book by the way. i you knew I read it, right? I knew you'd started it. Yeah,
2: did you finish it because like the second half is like wine, coffee. I can't remember if I finished it. (laughs) i read a lot of it. I remember reading about the wine and the coffee. Like I saw that they mentioned Dry Farm Wines.
0: Yeah, they did. They did. That was one thing people didn't like is they mentioned a lot of company names. But Dry Farm Wines, now that I know everything that I know about wine and the practices and having spoken with that company so much, I I feel like it's like necessary (laughs) to like talk about them whenever you talk about wine. But back to the book, it's everything I love. I was completely fascinated because... My obsession recently really has been specific types of protein substrates and amount of proteins and how they affect aging. And of course, there's a ton about fasting in there as well. So I really am enjoying it. I have like one chapter left. I'm almost done. It
2: was a fascinating discussion. And I think part of maybe what some people may not have liked is that it doesn't tell you exactly what to do. It talks about all the big ideas of, and it's been a while since I read it. So correct me if I'm wrong, of how at different stages of your life, you need different amounts of protein. And so you might come away from it. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do? It's hard to apply, perhaps. Am I remembering it properly?
0: I guess the first part of it is a lot of theoreticals rather than Yeah, like a specific, like, here's the the diet to follow for longevity. It does go through a lot of studies and the conflicting information. And like I said, it gets really technical, like the specific types of amino acids, which I've been fascinated by. So, oh, and of course, not that I got happy, but now I'm seeing this everywhere, Jen. I feel like everybody is talking about polyunsaturated fats now, like realizing that maybe even compared to like sugar... (laughs) They're really bad. Like I was listening to a podcast with Ben Greenfield yesterday. Speaking of, I put it on our Himalaya playlist. So if you follow us in the Himalaya app, A, you get our podcast downloaded 24 hours in advance. So that's awesome. B, I have a playlist in there called Intermittent Fasting Podcast Stuff We Like. That's where I put links to all of the podcasts I listen to that I like. So I put this episode in there. There was a Ben Greenfield episode and it was all about stubborn fat. But he obviously talked about fasting. He also explained a lot of the reasons why it can be hard, like factors that, that can affect why you may not be losing fat, which we get that question you know, all the time. Like, why is my weight loss stalled? And he went through like, f- like 14 or 15 things to tackle that weren't necessarily the go-to things you would think of. One of the things he mentioned was inflammatory factors in the diet. And he said, in his opinion, the most inflammatory thing was polyunsaturated fats. That's interesting. I'm seeing it everywhere. And it was in this book. longevity solution. Yeah, sorry, tangents. I'm just so fascinated with all of it. But I just love how the dialogue is really expanding as far as fasting goes, you know, with everything.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And it's just, you know, it comes down to, and I know the science of individual differences and how much of it is genetic, how much of it is gut microbiome. By the way, there's some fascinating new research coming out about that. Tim Spector, do you know who that is? I don't think so. Who is that? my two very favorite researchers that that are actually doing, you know, the hard scientific research, Mark Matson, he's um, out of Johns Hopkins. And then also Tim Spector, he's, he's from um, England and he wrote a gut book. He wrote one of my, my favorite gut books and he's doing some really fascinating research with twins. Of course, I've always been fascinated with you know, differences and similarities between twins and how much of that is genetic, how much of it is, you know, other factors, but we're figuring out that so much of this is individual and it's, yes, part of it's genetics. We don't know how much, but part of it is our gut microbiome. So he just released a study and I just read an article about it. I haven't read the whole study, but it was talking about how, you know, maybe 40% of it might be genetics, but then you know even with identical twins the foods that work well for them varies based on their gut microbiome so you know whether or not you do well with saturated fat or whatever <laughs> different types of monounsaturated fat the mufas the pufas all the different fats it's so variable and just fascinating
0: yeah that was one of my thoughts i was thinking last night while listening to longevity solution it, it kind of like hit me in this moment like this like moment of oh, wait, this is so obvious. Maybe one of the main reasons there's not one right diet is, I mean, because of the gut microbiome.
2: Well, and our genetics. Yeah.
0: And like, as long as that's there, I mean, it
2: seems almost silly to argue for one diet. I mean, that is the whole premise of Feast Without Fear. That is the whole point that I was making in that book. And again, like I said a minute ago, the science is still developing. So, you know, Tim Spector estimated 40% genetics, the rest your gut microbiome. That's, that's an estimate based on what he's discovering. And so we don't know for sure. We know that genetics does play a role. But, you know, all these analyses that we're doing, they're still based on very limited data and a, a developing understanding. But it's getting more and more clear that we really are different. Indeed. It's fascinating, and this is what I'm most interested in in the field of nutrition. And I really want to see some of the top names in diets that promoted their different ways that are so vastly different from one another. I'd like for them to say, you know what? I could see how another body might be different with something else, you know, might do well. I would like to see more open mindedness and more coming together. I can understand people who are vegetarian or vegan for ethical reasons.
0: Absolutely. I can understand that. 100% yes. But beyond that, one of the things that really kills me is that I feel like fat has been done such a disservice because it gets attacked as the thing that created all these health conditions when really I feel like we started eating higher fat in, in combination with higher sugar at the same time. So it's like that perfect storm of fat and sugar with processed foods, I think is often a very inflammatory problem, but then it goes both ways. People will say it wasn't the fat. It was the sugar. Those people won't say it wasn't the sugar. It was
2: the fat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like somebody who says, you know, I I eat way too many carbs. Somebody will say it. I just overeat the carbs. Carbs are the problem. I'm like, well, give me an example. And they say things like pizza and hamburgers and French fries.
0: Exactly. And the reason I'm saying this is even people often in the low carb world will say, oh, fat was improperly demonized because it wasn't the fat. It was the sugar. When I'm saying, why do we even say that? Like, why can't we say maybe it was the fat and the sugar together?
2: Like, like, why does it have to be one thing? Exactly. Because, for example, the pizza that someone is claiming gives them a problem. Well, yeah, that's a highly processed food. Well, depending on the pizza, I mean, you could make a really, really unprocessed version, if you make flour from wheat, but it's fat and it's carbs. It's it's automatically going to have fat or carbs. Right. You can't separate it. That's my point. My point is that, you know, people say I can't eat carbs because I gain weight when I eat pizza and when I eat hamburgers and when I eat French fries, but those are very high in fat and in carbs and protein, and they're high in everything. It's all the macros together. So you could blame the fat, you could blame the carbs
0: yeah, because I'm just thinking like I was reading the most recent medical medium book the other day because all the time I feel like the low carb people are saying what I just said about it wasn't the fat, it was the sugar. But then the medical medium book, he says the exact opposite. He was saying that people were improperly demonizing sugar when really it was the fat. Like he was saying that, you know, it, it, the sugar isn't the problem, the fat is the problem. When it's like, maybe it's both. <sighs>
2: <laughs> overeating is bad. It really, I love what Dr. Jason Fung says when he says, I can't remember his exact words, but, you know, the devil is in the processing. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's it's so complicated. And I genuinely do believe, even though, like I said, the science is really still developing. And, you know, the genetic stuff we have, you know, when they're doing all these analyses, like I did Xcode Life and all the different ones that are out there, they're based on a tiny, tiny number of studies that are not that robust, and they're drawing conclusions from them. But it's still fascinating to think that some people do better with carbs, and some people do better with protein, and some people do better with different fats. And so it's just it's a matter of respecting that we really are different. But I really think we're going to see more and more out of Tim Spector's research, and I'm watching that in a very interested way because he, he just is great. He wrote the book, The Diet Myth. Have you read The Diet Myth? I have not. Yeah, I would highly recommend The Diet Myth. He writes in such an interesting way. Like, you know, you're having a chat with a friend over a beer and you just want to keep reading it. So Tim Spector, The Diet Myth, I love it. It's one of, one of my favorites. I like, like him a lot. I also love um, Michael Pollan, as people know. You just want to keep reading their words. <laughs> and it's fascinating stuff. But do you know what the one thing we all seem to agree on, I want to say, the low-fat people and the low-carb people and all the people, they all seem to agree it isn't about the calories. I was thinking there's only one food
0: thing I can think of that we all agree on, but I didn't think about the calories. What's the one food thing you were going to say? Trans fat. Oh, yeah. With the exception of, I guess, people could get into a nitty-gritty debate about trans fat and animal fat and... You know, some would say yes, some would say no. But processed trans fats, I feel like, is the one thing (laughs) people can actually agree on.
2: I mean, I think no matter what, if you take heavily processed foods out of your diet, you're never going to be worse off. (laughs) I think we could agree on that, too. Except you could think of people who would
0: advocate for, like, like that Soylent thing, the processed
2: superfood things. Yeah, I'm not. No, (laughs) I'm not going to advocate for that. But, you know, even you read the low fat books. I reread the one that I talked about in Delay Don't Deny. I couldn't remember, you know, what their premise was exactly. The T-factor diet, what the T stood for, but it actually is like thermo, whatever, thermo, anyway, about heat. Carbs make your body rev up is the point of that. But, you know, I reread that not too long ago. Because I was like, what did they really say? And I can remember when I did low fat back in the 90s, I was eating just garbage food. I was eating low fat snack wells. I was eating low fat, you know, SpaghettiOs. I mean, I was eating garbage food. And I reread his book. And that is actually not what he suggests you do. (laughs) He recommends eating high quality, low fat foods, real foods. And it's just so funny how we took that message and ignored all the the part about eat the real food. And I think if we all just ate the real food, we'd probably be a lot better off. I'm not eating any soylent me neither. <laughs> <laughs> isn't it isn't that like it's made of people? Isn't that what the the final punchline was in that movie? Wasn't it made of people? I'm talking about that
0: recent soy-based Beverage thing that was supposed to cover all of your everything that you'd ever need in a drink. The name of it
2: is like a throwback to that movie.
0: Oh, it is okay. I didn't realize it was a cultural
2: reference. And it was like made of people. Oh, I just remember that that line, Soylent Green. It's made of people. (laughs) I I could never use that product for that. Yeah, here it. I found it. I looked it up. Thank you, Wikipedia. Soylent Green was a 1973 movie and they're eating this perfect food bar i think or something and but anyway it was made of people so I, it's it's funny that they named it that so the new it's called soylent i'm looking it up the new product soylent.com yeah but it's spelled the same exact way i guarantee they they named it that way like almost to just get your attention <laughs> i can't imagine they did that by accident i mean probably is yeah That would make sense. Charlton Heston was in
0: it, if you know who that is. All right. Would you like to read some of our listener feedback?
2: Yes. We have one from Jen, and this is J-E-N, Jen. I assume it's Jennifer. The subject is follow-up on coffee substitutes. And Jen says, hi, Jen and Melanie. I just wanted to follow up on my first email and thank you both again for all the work you do to make intermittent fasting so accessible to me and so many others. In my first email, I was a few weeks into my caffeine withdrawal and a couple months into my IF journey. I had been seeing good results and was afraid losing my coffee slash caffeine was going to take IF away from me, that the only reason I could succeed with IF was because coffee gave me the stamina to make it to my open window. Amazingly, I believe IF made all the difference in my ability to come off caffeine and to continue on my journey of listening to and respecting my body. I have found a few herbal, non-sweet tasting teas that my body responds well to and that fill the coffee void. I used Jen's advice and took note of my hunger levels before and after testing the teas. And because I had been clean fasting prior to this, I could trust that my body was telling me the truth. Now I have settled into an 18-6 schedule and am beginning to see the results that eluded me for the past decade. I don't weigh myself. But I am wearing clothes I haven't been able to wear for three years, and I am beginning to see the girl in the mirror that I thought was gone forever. I had tried Weight Watchers Points, calorie counting, Trim Healthy Mama, intuitive eating, restricting certain foods, all of which worked for a time, and then I couldn't handle them anymore. They all made me so sad because I love food. Now, for the first time, I don't fear food or myself around food. I don't fear growing older and aging. I don't fear things like vacations and hosting company because of what they might do to my eating plan. This is truly food freedom. Thank you for this gift and for sharing it so generously with the world. Blessings on you both. Jen.
0: Yeah, so I love receiving follow-up questions from listeners. So Jen, she originally emailed us a while back and she was struggling with giving up caffeine and she wanted to know if there were any herbal coffees that would be considered acceptable for a clean fast and she wanted suggestions. So it's really nice to know that stick. Oh, I am so glad. It's crazy. I feel like we often get in these habits and these patterns and these loops and it's hard to see that there could be a different way of experiencing life and experiencing our relationship with food and drinks. But yeah, that, that shift can happen and we're seeing that
2: with Jen. in Jen, yeah, I, I loved reading that too. So I'm glad that that she finally feels the food freedom. I mean, I almost was like feeling like I was going to tear up reading that just because <laughs> I just loved the part where she said that she for the first time doesn't fear food or fear herself around food. She doesn't feel vacations. She doesn't fear growing older. I mean, that is just that's just amazing. So Jen, thank you for sharing that because that's huge. I mean, you know, we were so afraid for so long of of all the food and that we couldn't trust ourselves with it. I, I think that resonates with a lot of us. It
0: really does. And I've been reading a lot of the work of Dr. Caroline Leaf recently. I don't know if listeners are familiar or Jen, if you've read any of her books. I have not. She's a neurocognitive scientist. She has like all of the, all of the credits, but she discusses a lot about mindset and how our thoughts affect our physical bodies. So, all, you know, things that we talk, we have to talk about So stuff like, you know, the biology of belief, stuff like that. And she talks a lot about fear and how quickly fearful thoughts create epigenetic changes. Ah, and how our DNA literally, like how fast it happens and how it changes our cells immediately, almost. So when we get stuck in these Fearful patterns, especially around food. And she also has a whole book on diet. And her, of course, she doesn't say there's any one right diet. It's really more about how our mindset affects our digestion of foods and how we should be eating real foods, basically. So I think, I think, Jen, it's a a book you and I could both get behind. Oh, yeah. I think so too. She does not advocate any, you know, one diet, but she talks with like food fears and how that even affects how the food is processed by our bodies and how it affects our cells and things like that, which can be kind of scary because you're like, oh, no, how much by being fearful, am I creating all this damage to my body? But she also says that having the re- the reverse, like love and gratitude and, you know, peace and things like Jen is experiencing in her email, that that can radically shift those changes also very quickly. So, yeah, it's very interesting.
2: It really is. And it just goes to show we're very complex. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's the body mind connection and, and all that it's key. There's a, a couple kind of people you know talk about in the Facebook groups, and some people you can just feel it in the way they post. They're getting in their way with their mindset. You know, they'd be like, "I got on the scale and it was up a pound, and I'm devastated, and I can never lose." And they're they're negatively talking through it and i think it really affects our progress. Oh, i think so. 100%. And we're seeing that scientifically in in so many books and we just we, the way we talk to ourselves is so much more important than some people understand. That
0: was actually one of the other things she said in her books was the importance of language and the importance of actually talking out loud and how that could make like a difference. You know, being very discerning in the words you use because on a subconscious level, they affect us because of the things we have attached to them in our, in our minds. And then how powerful it can be to actually say things out loud, not just think them, especially with like the certain practices. All right. Shall we move on to our questions? All right. So we have a question from Missy. The subject is consistent. And Missy says, I'm starting my intermittent fasting journey I decided to start with a 14-hour fast and work up to 16. Does it matter if I start the 14-hour fast at the same time every day or is it just important to fast more than 12 hours to get the benefits? Thank you, Missy. All right, Jen.
2: Well, I think if you're if you're starting with 14 and moving up to 16, you know, I really feel like your body is going to be adjusting. It's going to take a while. Especially, you know, with a 14 hour fast, because I know that probably is a lot longer than you're you're used to fasting, you know, starting off, you know, you may only be fasting eight hours, and that's while you're sleeping. So going from eight to 14 is a big jump. So be gentle with yourself. And also, yes, it's fine to start it at, at different times, you know, depending on the day. And, you know, we we actually were having this discussion in in one of my Facebook groups today. Someone said, you know what, instead of tracking my fast, I'm going to do like Jen does. I'm going to think about my eating window. So I would encourage you, if you know you're going to be flexible and you may open your window earlier some days and, you know, open it later other days, think about the eating window instead. It just is a little easier for me. So let's say you want to do a 14-hour fast doing the math. That would mean 10-hour eating window. So say, all right, if I'm going to adjust the time and I'm going to start earlier, I'm going to close it after 10 hours and that's going to be it. And so you're not really having to think about how many hours fasting. Instead, you're just thinking it from when you open your window and then go for the 10 hours you know, mathematically, because a day has 24 hours, if your eating window averaged 10 hours or less, your fast will average 14 hours or more because that will add up to 24. So think about it in a way that that makes it easier for you. As I said, for me, the eating window was easier for me to track because You know, I start eating and then it's really easy for me to know when to stop in a certain number of hours later and then I don't even have to think about whenever I open it, boom, it's open and then close it within that certain amount of time. If I left my window open for too long, I would be more likely to overeat. So, you know, think about eventually you're going to shrink that down to an eight hour eating window and that might be your sweet spot. Maybe yours will be six hours or five hours. You won't know until you let your body adjust. But you're right. You know, Missy did say, "Is it important to fast more than twelve hours to get the benefits?" Of course, yes. The benefits do come from the longer, you know, the the twelve, the fourteen, the sixteen, the eighteen. You do get into more benefits through the longer fasts. But keep the window to a certain length, and the fasts will average out. All right. What do you have to say, Melanie? I
0: was going to say, of course. On the flip side. For all the other people, I'm the opposite of you. I've always found it easier to count the fast rather than the eating window. So that's an option as well for people. If they're just counting the eating window and they want to switch things up, you could do the reverse as well. You could count the fast. I think it's so interesting. We've talked about this at length before, so I won't go into detail. But you know how some people automatically have always, I feel like always count the eating window. And so people have
2: automatically always count the fast. Yeah. But that it's also fine to switch it up. You know, if, you, if you've been doing it one way and you want to try doing it the other way, try it. But yeah,
0: but to briefly answer Missy's question, it shouldn't really matter if you start it at the same time every day, um, as long as you're getting it in there. By necessity, of course, radically changing the time you're starting it would insinuate that you are likely having presumably maybe longer eating window you know like the other factors would have to change if you're if you're radically changing when you're starting that means your your eating window timing is likely changing as well does that make sense like there's not much flux you can have and still
2: be doing it daily for example if i opened my window early and then kept it open for 14 hours of eating and then started a 14 hour fast and then I mean it would it would be alternating the times, but that would be too much food for me. You know, I could I could eat a lot of food in, in a really, really long window, but I think that you're just gonna be flexible with life just because I don't know if I explained that very well. Did I make any sense? <laughs> I know what we're both trying to say at the same
0: time. Because of the nature of being awake and being and sleeping and eating and fasting. There's not that much difference you can have in a daily window that ends up having a window every day. If you want to have a window every single day that's at least 14 hours, for example, there's not much fluctuation you can do if you want to do that daily. Otherwise, something has to get elongated or shortened because of math.
2: That's right. Because there's 24 hours in a day and you're sleeping in some of them. Basically, don't worry about it too much, Missy. Pick (laughs) it, pick something that you're going to track. Maybe it's a 14-hour fast. You're like, as long as I get to a 14-hour fast, I've made it. Like I was talking to somebody just this morning. I interviewed someone for Intermittent Fasting Stories. And she said when she started, she's like, you know what? I'm going to make a 16-hour fast every day. And that is going to be my goal. And she said as long as she did that, that was it. She nailed having at least 16 hours of fasting at a time. And so, you know, that, that was how it it felt right for her. For me, I nailed having a eating window of five hours or less. That was what I nailed. Is one approach better than the other? No, it's all about what feels better for you. Cause it really, it's this, it's the flip side of the same coin. You know, <laughs> if you give me a quarter, it's got heads on one side, tails on the other. It's still a quarter.
0: I think that's why I feel qu- sort of quote free by just counting the fast because then it's like I don't, and I guess the same could be said for counting just the window. It's because I don't have to even worry about times or anything. I'm just like, okay, when I finish eating, now I'm going to go at least this amount of hours. And I don't really like sweat it about when I stopped eating because of sleep. I know I'll stop it sometime in the night. And then I just, wait a
2: minimum amount of hours the next day. see, for me, I, I didn't like having, having to make myself wait a certain minimum number of hours because like, for example, tomorrow, I'm going out to lunch with my stepmother. It was her birthday and we're going out to lunch or I'm going at one thirty, And I know that tonight I'll be eating a little bit later. We have a showing for our house and then it's a late showing. It's really late. So dinner's going to be all messed up tonight. So I'll be eating later than normal tonight. But I still haven't opened my window yet. So my window will still be the shorter amount of time. But I also am having a longer fast today because I'm opening late. But because tomorrow I'll open earlier, I'll have a shorter fast. But today my fast was longer. So that's why it it evens out. But I'm not going to have like a a super long window because then I feel like it's just too much food. I count the fast with a caveat of
0: when there's – a day when I would need to be eating earlier, like that situation, then I just don't worry about yeah. counting. I just see it as like a day where I'm not doing the full fast. But I could still, starting early, I could still close it within five if I wanted to. See, the, to me, the idea of putting a time limit on when I have to stop eating is like really stressful to me. <laughs> and that's, that's just me. Like, And this is totally just the way I interpret it. And that's why we're all unique and have to define what works for us. So for me, if I'm eating, if there was, like, a time limit on the window, I would feel like there's, like, a timer going. And I think it would create very negative food patterns for me because I'd be like, oh, I have to finish eating by this time. Whereas I'd be better thinking, oh,
2: I can eat as long as I want. Yep. And that that is why neither way is the best universal way. Right. It's whatever feels right to you. Yay. <laughs> so interesting how emotional and mental this is. Because you're right. You know, if you feel like you have to cram it all in just to get it in within a certain amount of time, that's no good. No, yeah, exactly. All right. Should I go to the next question? All right. Right. Yes. The next one is from Robbie and the subject is sparkling water. And I've got some right here beside me now, Robbie. The question is, hi there, ladies. Firstly, can I say thank you for all the great research and advice you give? I've been doing IF for about a year now with great results so far. The information you have shared over the 104 episodes has helped to keep me on track and help tweak elements that I need help with. My question is about sparkling water. I have just bought a soda stream. It's so great as now I have sparkling water on tap, pardon the pun, and a much better option for the environment as I don't have to continually buy plastic bottles anymore. Apart from drinking normal water at the gym each day, I drink sparkling for the rest of the day. Is this okay? Is there such a thing as drinking too much sparkling? Does it have any negative or positive effects? I did read somewhere that it was bad for your teeth, but not sure if this was true. Thanking you in advance for any feedback or thoughts you have. Warm regards, Robbie. And can I say one thing? If you have some negative things to say, Melanie, you know how you can put your hands in your ears, your fingers in your ears and go la 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 so you don't have to hear it? If you're going to say that you can drink too much sparkling water and that we need to limit it, let me know so I can put my fingers in my ears because I don't want to hear that. (laughs) See, that's so funny. I'm the complete
0: opposite. (laughs) Whenever I'm doing something, I'm like, tell me why this is wrong. (laughs) I'm like always looking for something. I mean, which is probably not healthy, but I'm always like, if this is, you know, potentially detrimental, please tell me now.
2: I just love sparkling water so much. I drink it all day. I'm drinking mineral water right now.
0: You said you don't like the fizz, right? No, no, no. I've never liked it. Never. It's funny. We had a sparkling water company reach out to us about sponsorship recently. I can't do sparkling water, so you will never hear me promoting sparkling water. (laughs) But I love it, so I would promote it. (laughs) You can promote it. (laughs) It bothers my stomach way too much. So for the question, sparkling water. So Robbie, I did find some studies addressing your question. They have looked at how sparkling water affects teeth enamel. And they concluded that carbonated water has negative effects on etched or sealed enamel and that it results in decreased hardness and removal of adhesive materials. And that it also, I I guess they put adhesive material on the teeth and it removed that from the teeth. That said, in this study, they were submerging the enamel in test solution for 15 minutes, three times a day for a week. And I feel like when we're swallowing sparkling water, I mean, you're
2: not swishing it around in your mouth for 15 minutes straight. (laughs) Okay, I just did a test because I have my sparkling water right here and I drank it. And I'm not even sure if it even got on my teeth when I drink. I feel like those studies that look
0: at it where they're submerging it in it are not really applicable. I did find another study where researchers had a group of women drink a liter of still water every day compared to a group that drank a liter of carbonated water every day. And after eight weeks, they did not find any difference when it came to bone turnover because that has been one of the other arguments is that sparkling water can actually affect our bone density. Long story short, I don't think it's a problem at all. Just whether or not you like it. For me, it really affects my stomach and I and I've never liked it even before I was really in tune with my digestive nature. Growing up I didn't like it. We talked about this. I have to do the little swishy thing that you had never heard of. Yeah. Some listeners emailed me and said they did that as well. That's funny. You swallow that sparkling water straight with all those bubbles? Yeah, I just drink it. You get all that car- Ugh. So you swallow that fizzy water in its fizzy state with all of that gas? Pretty sure that's the intended method
2: of drinking it.
0: (laughs) You got to like swish it around to make the bubbles go away and then swallow it. No.
2: Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. That's so
0: funny. Cracking me up. No, I just drink it. It's good. I don't think so. Even when I use like natural calm, which you use natural calm sometimes, right? Never. I've never bought it. Okay. It's really good. It's amazing, but it makes it like a fizzy drink at the beginning. So I always have to make it and then kind of like let it sit till it goes flat. So I bet you don't like kombucha. I've actually never tried it. It looks too sweet. Oh, because it's fizzy. Oh, I mean, I loved Coke and Diet Coke and Sprite growing up, but I just had to do that little swishy trick. That's funny. (laughs) Uh. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us, and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about, And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy that includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show.
2: All right, next question.
0: Are we ready? Yes. The next question comes from KC and the subject is facial hair. And KC says, forgive me if you've covered this issue already, but I was wondering if you know if intermittent fasting might affect facial hair growth. I'm 60 years old and I've been I have been IFing for about five months now, eating mostly one meal a day, sometimes two meals on weekends. I've had quite a bit of menopausal facial hair for years now, but I've noticed in the past couple of weeks that it has significantly decreased. Could this be a result of fasting? Thanks for the books, podcasts, and online groups. I really enjoy you both. All right, facial hair. Jen, have you experienced, not personally, why? Well, I don't know.
2: Personally, have you experienced this? And then in the groups, have you seen this? Well, no, I personally don't have any <laughs> unusual facial hair. I do not. But actually, I do know the answer to this because, yes, when women grow facial hair, it's it's hormonal. It's related to you know different hormonal situations that can occur. It's also highly likely in women who have either PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or, for example, Cushing's disease, which is related to stress or high cortisol yeah, intermittent fasting can correct the hormonal imbalances that you find in both PCOS and Cushing's disease, if that is what intermittent fasting does for you, right? And if that is the case, especially PCOS, because PCOS is connected to high insulin. And of course, intermittent fasting is a great way to lower your insulin levels. And so that corrects a lot of the issues that people who have PCOS are dealing with. And I'm not saying that KC has been dealing with PCOS, but again, it's the whole hormonal aspect of what causes women to have the the facial hair growth. So absolutely, yes, I would say that intermittent fasting has helped you with that issue. What do you think, Melanie? I agree completely. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits
0: that we see from intermittent fasting, the beneficial effects it can have hormonally, because I think, especially women, are often quite nervous that fasting will be bad for their hormones or detrimental. But I think by addressing the root issues and the overall health of your body that it often creates beneficial and amazing changes. And like we, and we've and we had wonderful conversations, for example, with Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Anna Kabeka. So I'll put links to those episodes in the show notes, because those really went into fasting and women's health. Actually, let's go ahead and read the question from Ronnie, because it Kind of relates as well. Okay. Because Ronnie, her subject was night sweats. And she said, hi, Jen and Melanie, love your podcast. And I actually got to talk to Jen the other day on her podcast, which was so fun. Yep. I interviewed Ronnie. She says, anyway, I do have a question and I've tried to find research on this topic to no avail. I have been IF for 16 months and IF slash keto for 12 months. I lost 60 pounds in the first 10 months. And so I've been in maintenance for about six months. I love this lifestyle and have experienced lots of healing, but I do have one nagging problem. I keep getting night sweats, to the point where I wake up in the middle of the night with soaking wet pajamas. I never had anything like this until I started IF. It seems to mostly happen on nights after my up day, I do ADF, but does sometimes happen after my down days also. I have a strong hunch that it is hormonal, but I don't know which hormone or why. I'm 37 and I have regular menstrual cycles, so I don't think I'm premenopausal yet. What do y'all think? Any thoughts on what is going on and what I might do to help alleviate this problem? It does disturb my sleep, which is just not cool. Thanks in advance. Ronnie. So this is also speaking with the hormonal issues and fasting, although Ronnie seems to be experiencing negative effects. Jen, do you have thoughts on this? Well, there are
2: two things that could be going on here. One, of course, is when you were losing fat, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this, you know, our, our bodies pack things away in our fat cells. and And it also, we pack away toxins in our fat cells and also hormones in our fat cells. So as our bodies are releasing the fat, it also releases all that other stuff that's been hanging in there with it. And so you could be releasing, like, let's say you were taking birth control pills at one point, your body packed some of that away, some of those hormones, and now you're releasing it. So that could be causing those, those female kind of hormonal issues. That could be part of it.
0: That is a really good point. I wonder though, I don't know when she's eating, but do you think that would more likely create temperature fluctuation problems while fasting
2: compared to... Right. That would that was that one. That was, But she's having it. That would be like the down day issue because that's a fasting day. But it's the other thing that really jumped out at me. And if she wasn't also having them on the down days, I would 100% think that, you know, because she said it mostly happens on the nights after her up day. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but when I eat, I get hot. Like my body radiates heat. And, you know, here I am at, at my goal size and I'm not, you know, trying to lose more fat. And when I eat a lot of food, I think my body deals with that by ramping up my metabolism to, you know, like ramps up my burn rate. They have done studies on overfeeding. You know, they overfeed people. One of them was a twin study, which I said I love twin studies, but they overfed these twins, you know, above their, their basal metabolic rate of calories and they overfed them for a long period of time. And, you know, every set of twins responded differently, but some of them responded by their bodies upregulated their metabolism. And so that's a sign that your body is doing what it's supposed to do. or You're having those up days. You ate more food that day. Your body's upregulating your metabolism to burn it off. Uh, so like when I was just at the beach recently, I ate and drank more than normal because I had friends there. And so I was talking about like one day I was sitting there and I'm like, I am so hot. Is anyone else hot? And they're like, no. <laughs> so then I explained how I get so hot, you know, after eating when I've eaten a lot of food. And then when one of my friends was leaving, I gave her a hug. She's like, oh my God, you are hot. <laughs> I mean, like my skin just, radiates the heat. And I really think it's just our body's response in eating more food. And if you're experiencing that on an ADF pattern on your up day, then I would like jump for joy and cheer and think, yay, my body is regulating metabolism just like it's supposed to do when I eat more food. That's one reason ADF is so protective of of metabolism because you do have that up pattern. And it's also the reason why if someone is, you know, having the the longer fasts and trying to do the up-down pattern, they really need to make sure that they have the up day and not try to do like one meal a day and then skip a day and then one meal a day and skip a day. That's not ADF. You know, you're not having the metabolism boosting effects of the days with more food. So that's my answer to that. And I know it might not feel fun to be all sweaty, but think about, you know, is is it what you're eating on those days? I find when I eat more carbs, and I know you're you're keto, so I, I don't know, but think about if it relates to something you're eating that day. If I eat more carbs, I feel like it's ramped up even more. When I first read this question, that
0: was my initial my initial first thought was, oh, on up days you're getting really hot and sweaty. I mean eating a lot, especially when you switch to, to intermittent fasting, you are eating a larger massive amount of food within a smaller window and then sleeping. It can definitely, definitely create that. But then, like you said, Jen, the fact that she experiences it on the down days as well does seem to I- indicate that there may be a something else going on. I will say, just from my experience, I really related to this question because, I mean, I've been doing intermittent fasting for you know over a decade. And did not experience night sweats or hormonal type issues until other factors came into play. And so it wasn't the fasting <laughs> that created that and the eating pattern. It was likely other things like, so specifically for me with like heavy metals and chelation and things like that really did a number of my hormones. So basically there are a lot of factors and I think fasting can do, especially what Jim was saying It can create changes in your body where your body is maybe, you know, dealing with different hormonal constitutions because you are entering this, you know, this detox state and you're entering a new state of being. So it could be, it could be a lot of things and it's hard for us to know either way. I think the practical takeaway is that I think by addressing your overall hormonal health with fasting that works for you with a diet that supports you, I do think that you can find, you can address it. How that's going to look for you, we can't really say. So I'd, I mean, I encourage you to work with a holistically minded functional practitioner if possible. But I will say, I also got really excited about this question because, I mean, I feel like I'm too young <laughs> to be getting hot flashes. But like I said, with the craziness that I've, I've experienced with some health things, I started getting hot flashes, which was really crazy. I found something that stopped them completely at night. What is that? and I'm obsessed. The Chili Pad, have you heard of it?
2: It's something like fits on top of your mattress?
0: Yes. I'd heard about it a lot on like Rob Wool's podcast and Ben Greenfield's podcast, and I've been wanting to order it. I finally ordered it. Oh my goodness, life changing. It's this pad that you put on your bed. It fills up with water and you can act- it actually can get hot or cold. So if you're always cold at night, you can make it warm. If you get hot at night, you can make it cold. You wouldn't think that, especially if it's a hormonal problem coming from within you, that you know just changing what you're sleeping on could make that big of a difference. But oh my goodness, it has made the biggest difference for me. I can't even describe. It completely like got rid of my my feeling hot at night. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Cannot recommend it enough. I should have ordered it eons ago. It's amazing. But yes, addressing overall hormonal health because hormones, it's probably either digestion, heat from food and or hormones. That's all going to go back to just addressing your overall diet and diet and lifestyle and everything. So it's hard to say what one thing it is. That's the problem. We can't. (laughs) Like like how we started this conversation at the beginning, we can't, it's never, you know, one thing. There's not one right
2: answer. And it is different. I am 49, almost 50, like really, really almost 50. I'll be 50 soon. <laughs> but I've had hot flashes that are more related to like hormonal menopausal type hot flashes. And they're different than just the I'm hot because of food. It's a different kind of sweating. I know. Yeah.
0: Because I started getting hot flashes and temperature regulation problems while fasting like (laughs) that's how you know that's when you know it's um hormonal you know when you're when you've been in the fasted state you're like completely fine and then you get this massive temperature change you're like oh well that's interesting yeah i don't get them in the fasted state i feel like it's like my body dealing with things right i think so yeah so, all right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you have your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can submit your questions directly at ifpodcast.com. You can get our episode. Like I said, we are Himalaya partnered show. You can get our episode downloaded 24 hours in advance on Himalaya. You can also follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the ifpod. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And Jen, I hope you survive the frigid summer.
2: (laughs) Thank you. It's supposed to be back in the 80s tomorrow, but I'm sitting here in jeans and long sleeves. So (laughs) tomorrow, I'll put. I actually had on shorts earlier, and and I tried to sit on the porch, and I was cold.
0: That's funny. You know, I'm the person who, when it's winter, I still wear shorts and t-shirts. No, not me. No. Cold exposure therapy. I love being cold. It feels so good. It feels so healthy.
2: Oh, I had to accidentally have cold shower therapy the other day because we have a tankless hot water heater and our house is old and it's it's got lots of pipes. So my son's bedroom is real close to the where the hot water heater is on that side of the house. So I was in the shower and he apparently got in the shower while I was in the shower. And we can never run out of hot water because it's a tankless hot water heater, which I love so much. But His shower stole all the hot water and it couldn't get to me. And so I was having a cold, cold shower. And I was like, no cold therapy, no cold therapy.
0: Yes, cold therapy. Yes, That's one thing. I want it to be colder so that my shower, I want my last blast because it's the summer. Though I feel like the water doesn't get freezing even if I make it cold. Like when it's winter, you know, you turn the water to cold. The water gets like freezing. I can't wait for that. (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, so funny. All right. Well, I will talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.